This is episode 545 with John O'Sullivan. There's plenty of talented players out there, but mm. do you have the mentality to go through the ups and downs? To My friend Tom Statham's worked, I think, 25 years in Manchester United's academy. And mm. so, you know, he's told me some great stories. Uh, they're all on the podcast about watching different players go through. So the first team from, I think, Wes Brown was his first. And, wow, you know, currently today, I mean, he coached. Yeah. And it, I mean, he coached, you know, Jesse Lingard and Marcus Rashford and Scott McTominay when they were nine and 10 years old. Wow. Right. And and so, you know, they all have different journeys. And Marcus Rashford was always big and strong and, and mm-hmm. played up. A Scott McTominay did well. And then he kind of went down a little bit. And then he kind of, mm-hmm. you know, again. peaked again and he got his chance. And, and he took it. Um, and, and I think also what you said, you know, when you go to the bigger pond, right, you're the best in your town, you go to the bigger pond, you have to change that voice that says, wow, I'm not as good as I thought to, hey, you know what, I can play with these guys. Welcome to Athlete Maestro, a podcast tailored for athlete development, improvement and peak performance. And now here's your host, you know, there's a famous um, saying, it's not really a quote, but a famous saying that you should never meet your mentors because more often than not, you are always going to get let down. But you see, in this episode with John, it was actually the complete opposite. So when I was going to start Athlete Maestro in 2016, obviously, I started listening to podcasts, you know, because I'd gotten to the point and the realization that, you know, football was done for me. But now, how could I begin to coach athletes, you know, with my experience, with everything that I learned from seeking uh, that professional route? And of course, uh, it was very easy for me to say yes to coaching and guiding those athletes that were behind me with the necessary information they were going to need in order to do what it is that they had dreamt about for so long. Now, obviously, because I didn't have the information that I needed that contributed in a way to how things turned out for me, irrespective of the injury that occurred. One of the podcasts that I started listening to was The Way of Champions. And of course, the host of that podcast was John O'Sullivan, the man that I have on the podcast today. And of course, you know, I've said so many times about mentorship and how it's not when you know someone one-on-one, you know, that you can be mentored by them just by their work and you learning from them and learning from everything they're doing. They can be virtual mentors to you. And of course, John, definitely without a doubt, was one of those mentors to me who started me on this path, you know, and of course, continues, even though he doesn't know it, to mentor me through this process as well. So it was an absolute delight to have him on the podcast. And like I was telling him towards the end of the podcast that, hey, man, a lot of people who have achieved what you've achieved, who know the people that you know, who've done the things that you've done, you know, in the world of football and coaching and sports parenting, you know, they they, ha- they would have the, the chance to be arrogant. Let's just be honest. But you see, what you're going to listen to in this episode is as real as it gets. Like you just see how genuine John is, you know, and how the conversation flowed seamlessly from everything that we talked about. So, you know, that saying that, hey, never meet your mentors because you're going to let down, you're going to get let down. It was the complete opposite. As a matter of fact, John's stock, you know, just rose exponentially in my eye. John is the founder of Changing the Game Project. So basically his mission is to help parents and young athletes 
reconnect with sports. You know, everything is monetized now. And we find out that a lot of youth athletes, children particularly, are struggling with everything that is going on. So how do we help them to reconnect to sports the right way, which, of course, is the fun element. And that's what he does. But, of course, he's had also ample experience being a football coach and we also get to talk about that as well we talked about so many things and i'm i'm super excited for you guys to listen to it we we talked about the sports parenting aspects and parents with their children then we turn the attention to the footballers how can you become a better footballer how of course can you be like the best athletes how can you improve certain facets of your game we went into detail with all of this thing it was my pleasure to have john i'm super excited like ah literally i've been waiting for this episode to air and of course i did discuss it um on my instagram where i shared that short clip just after the interview you know about some of the things that i wanted you to pick from it uh, but obviously since that day i've been waiting eagerly for you guys to be able to listen to this episode with john o'sullivan this episode guys is brought to you by my free masterclass how to nurture your child's talent in sports now of course so many of the things that we talked about are things that john you know also talked about and of course this is the first time that i'm talking to john so if you're a parent you're listening to this or you're an athlete who needs your parent on your side then of course you have to send them to this masterclass athletemaestro.com forward slash sports parenting athletemaestro.com forward slash sports parenting where you learn how to nurture your child's sporting talent when you've signed up or when you've sent your parents that text to go to that link come to this episode it's mentor against mentee and of course we are teaching you about fundamentals either from a parenting angle or as a lawyer Welcome everyone back to the Athlete Magical Podcast. So myself and John have tried to do this earlier. Uh, so I, I told him that he's a living legend as it relates to um, coaching, speaking, talking about youth sports, developing talent, developing players. It's my pleasure to have John O'Sullivan on the podcast. Welcome, John. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's great to connect halfway across the world. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, before we had a little bit of issues, you were telling me about your background in playing, which I didn't know you had, you know, and of course, uh, the struggle with injuries, you know, and how that kind of affected your transition into coaching. You know, so I was going to ask you that, you know, for a lot of African players, we always, professional football is the goal. It's something that we always want to do. How can they learn to come to the realization that you're not going to play professional sports. It's time to transition to doing other things. You know, it's funny. One of, uh, one of my friends said to me once, uh, he said, you know what? Even if you're really good, even if you play professionally, we all end up in the bar league eventually, mm-hmm. right? Which is what we call here in the U.S., right? Who is the old guy's league that where you drink a beer after the game? Maybe you drink a beer at halftime, right? And it's like, uh, he's like, so we all end up there eventually. And yet we spend so much focus on these, these early years. And then what we do is we also have this survivorship bias in terms of we look at the ones who made it and, and we ignore all the ones who didn't, who got injured, who have deep psychological issues, elements for the rest of their life, all of these things that are just really, you know, terrible. Right. And, 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 and then, but we say, Oh, but that guy made it. (laughs) <laughs> and I totally understand, like, it, you know, for, for some kids in some cities and some places, the only way out is sport. Like, mm. I get that, 
right? Um, but I think even in those situations, we can help them get out through sport, but we can give them character education. Mm-hmm. We can teach them how what they learn in sport will be, um, you know, we'll use the rest of their life. You know, you look at like, you know, Manchester United and, and, and their team, their youth team that had, you know, Beckham and gigs and mm-hmm. skulls and the Nevilles and everything. Mm-hmm. But if you ask those guys at 16, who was the best player? It wasn't any of them. Mm. It was a kid who did his knee at 18 and never turned pro. Right. And, and it's like, you know, the, the, these are, we've because those guys all made it. And so I just think in sport, like we can serve more people instead of just the lucky few who make it all the way through. Yes. And you see, the, the reason why that resonates, you know, is because one of the things that we have here, you know, especially in Nigeria, and I believe I can speak for, you know, some of the other African countries, you know, is that just like you mentioned, we're very fixated, you know, on the ones that make it. Nobody is concerned with the ones that don't make it. Now, obviously, one of the things that you have advocated, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, parents do, establishments do, uh, which, of course, is what led mm-hmm. you to starting the Changing the Game project in the first place, you know, is to, is to give the sports back to the youth, give the sports back to the kids. How did you come to that realization? You know, obviously, I work mostly in, in North America. Mm-hmm. I work some in Europe and Australia and Asia, um, but... What I really see is that because of all the money and all the attention that professional sports gets, um, what we've done, I use the word adultified youth sports. <laughs> so we, we've taken these things, right, that, the, that we value in um, adult sport, right, winning above mm-hmm. everything else, um, adult values, which is about outcomes, which is about, you know, if you make a mistake, you're out, all this sort of stuff. And, and we've let them trickle down into kids' sports. And, and what happens is, right, you think about this, like where, where you live, right, if, th- if six kids show up and they have a ball, what are they going to do? They're going to play a game, yeah. right? Six kids show up with a ball and an adult shows up, what's he going to do? He's going to run drills, <laughs> right? And, and it's like, uh, you know, and, and because he – He's like, oh, we're going to train you for the long term instead mm-hmm. of just saying, no, like, what do the kids want? What do the kids need from this? And if, if we give kids what they want and what they need for long enough, great players are going to emerge. But more importantly, we'll have more kids playing, more kids healthy, um, and then we can use that sport as as a vehicle. Um, and, and I think this is this is one of, you know, the most important things we can do. And And when we don't do it, and we only focus on, you know, what if you become a pro? We just miss out on an opportunity to influence a lot of kids. Before I talk about your book, John, you know, I, I hear what you're saying and I agree. You know, one of the things that I also do uh, with this podcast, you know, and, and working with athletes over here and working with parents is that I've come to the realization that things have to be done differently. You know, on one end of the spectrum, you have the parents who don't support their children to play sports. You know, so in Africa, it's always education. It's always education. You know, sports is for the unserious people. Mm-hmm. You know, sports is for those who won't amount to anything in life. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the parents who see sports as their outlet from poverty. You know, and if he's able to make it, all of us are fine. All of us are free. He can cater to us. How do we find the balance in saying, 
yes, I want these children to have fun, but how can I plan or how can I put them in the best position, you know, to, for it to be on the table that they can play sports professionally? How do we find that balance? I mean, that's a huge question, right? I, I would say, first of all, I think it's important that even parents who value education, which is mm-hmm. a great thing to do, um, ha- should also understand that physical activity promotes education. Mm. So kids who run and jump and, and move and, and are active every day, they do better in school. They learn more. They, mm. they tend to eat better. They have less obesity problems. They have less health problems in their life. Um, and, and so I think we need to under, help people understand that um, if you want your kids to do better in book education, then making sure they have a physical education is very, very important, right? Mm. So, so I think that's you know, sort of in general. Now, number two, we can open the newspapers any day, right? And, and see a story of an athlete across many sports who, whose uh, talent has taken them to a place that their character can't mm. sustain, right? Right. So we might look at, uh, you know, the, the what might have been players, a Mario Balotelli in, mm, in football yes. or Stan Collimore or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Where it wasn't a, a footballing ability situation. It was, you know, the lifestyle. It was they did not have the support network mm-hmm. to, you know, I've got a lot of money and I've got a lot of time on my hands and a lot of people willing to say yes to whatever I want. And so that, you know, they never achieve what they could have. Uh, And so um, this is where I think early on, when we're a coach, when we're a parent of an athlete, you know, no coach uh, of a pro team ever says, man, you know, that that guy's a great player. But boy, what a high character individual. We don't want him on our team. Right. (laughs) They don't say that. They're like, that's a plus. Right. Um. And, and, and so when kids are younger, it's much more, um, they're much more bendable and shapeable. Mm-hmm. So let's shape them in a positive direction to be a great teammate, to be someone who gives to their team instead of as always like, what do I get? What do I get? Um, and I think especially in football, this is a big challenge because, you know, we're all about, you know, be selfish, learn to dribble, get better, get better, get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden we try to plug them in to be part of the team, run for the team, tackle for the team, defend for the team. Mm. Like, wait, for the last eight years, you told me it was all about me. And so, <laughs> you know, and I got 30,000 Instagram followers already and I'm 15 and I'm driving up Porsche. And so, um, you know, what do you mean when else, you know, this is about me. And so I think we can do better younger so that people are ready to give more later on. Uh, so if, if I hear you correctly, John, what you're saying basically is that the overall objective should still be on those quote and unquote intangibles. And ultimately, you would still get to the end goal, which is if they progressively develop the way they should, then they would get that opportunity to play professionally. Yeah, I think so. And, and here's the thing. There, there's some interesting research being done out of Canada, a guy named Joe Baker, who mm-hmm. is looking at this, right? So... Are there intangibles, to use your word, or character traits 
that are predictors of success later on. Now, you know, one of the things that we do know is that professional athletes tend to um, score higher on scales of ruthlessness and selfishness. So there has to be a certain, you know, you have to commit a lot to be really good at something. So we're not saying that these things don't exist, but do they have to exist to such an extent that you become like a non-functioning member of society? I think that's the question, right? So if we instill good moral character traits and performance character traits, so we want grit, resilience, hard work, commitment, competitiveness, but do we also want respect, right? Do we want integrity? Because integrity is about, you know, do I eat well? Do I sleep well? Do I take care of myself off the field, right? Do I do things for the betterment of the club? I don't think there's any club out there, you know, there's plenty of examples of, you know, professional sports teams that don't buy a player or don't draft a player here in the U S not because of ability, mm. but because of character. True. Right. They call it like uh C D and D in the national football league um, character. Do not draft or something like that. Oh. I, I'm making that <laughs> up, but yeah. Yeah. So wow. Great player, poor character. Don't draft them. Mm, wow. So if I'm a parent now, or no, if the urge, the drive, is coming from the youth athlete themselves, so the children. So if I have, you know, a child, for example, I have a, I have a soon-to-be three-year-old daughter, you know, and she's the one with that drive. For some reason, for her, it's just different. You know, she mm-hmm. loves sports. You know, she wants to compete. You know, she's always pulling me to take her to practice. You know, she's the feistiest on the team and things like that. You know, what, what do I do in situations like that? I think... First of all, your your daughter is the one driving the bus, right? Like mm. she is passionate. She wants to do this. So you're supporting her. And that's a great thing. I mm. think the problem is usually the opposite, where the parent is the only one with the passion. The parent wants it more than the kid. And, mm. and all of a sudden, you rupture your relationship with your kid because of the parent wants it more, right? Because yeah, your kid likes football, but she doesn't love it, right? Mm-hmm. Likes baseball, but doesn't love it. And so I think this is the, the biggest thing that as, a, as a, a parent, I want to be cognizant of. Now, early on, right? You know, you, you have a son or a daughter who's precocious and does well in sport and wants to do more yeah, introduce them to a couple different things, find what they love, mm. right? Um, if they're a little hesitant early on, right? I think that's when you push a little bit as a parent mm. because if, if we call, right, like if we value education and we had a five-year-old who was struggling to read, like Tola, I don't think you'd say, ah, my five-year-old is just not a reader. Let's not bother with that, right? Like, no, you would never do that. You would say, you would say, no, this is an important life skill. You need to learn this. So I think on the opposite hand, as a parent, if you have a son or a daughter who's hesitant a little bit and they're very young, remember that movement skills are skills. Running, jumping, mm. catching, throwing, skipping, hopping. They are skills and skills can be learned. 
So it doesn't mean that they're going to be an Olympian, but it also doesn't mean that, you know, we often say, oh, my five-year-old, she's just not an athlete. (laughs) So forget about sports, right? And yeah, she might not be an Olympic athlete, but everyone was born to move. And so teaching our kids to move is one of the best things we can do as parents. Yeah, that, that resonates because one of the one of the things that you see with African parents is that, you know, we were we gravitate a lot towards religion, right? And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But one of the things that you see with a lot of these parents is that they feel or they believe that this talent is God given. So if my child is not showing any ability, is not showing any talent for sport, it means he wasn't meant to do it because God did not give him or her that ability to do it. So they completely close off those children from sports. But what then happens is that when that child goes to boarding house, you know, so when they're getting into, um, that would be high school, you know, then they get exposed to other children, you know, who love sports, who are always running, who are always doing all these things, you know, and when that child is coming back home, it's more or less like they're meeting a totally different child. Would you agree with that scenario in terms of, you know, parents often seeing something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think so. And I think um, there are certain things that are God given, or we could use the word genetic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if you're, you know, if I'm five feet tall and my wife is four feet tall, my son is probably not going to be seven feet tall and sure. playing center in the NBA. Right. So, so DNA plays a part, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. But what's the point of focusing on the things that we can't control? So the biggest thing that we can control is practice Mm. is, is learning new things, right? That belongs to us. So we can't out train our DNA, right? Some people are going to have, you know, slow twitch muscles and be better distance runners. And some people are going to be better sprinters, but we can maximize our capacity given the tools that we have right in sport. And I don't know how it works in in Nigeria, but the problem in sport is when we categorize players Mm -hmm. or athletes, it's often on some arbitrary calendar cutoff, (laughs) right? And so let's say that cutoff is January 1st. Mm -hmm. Well, my seven-year-old who's born in January is going to be almost a year older than a kid born in December Mm -hmm. who's technically the same age in sport right and so and so when i look at my seven-year-old that january kid is probably going to be bigger probably going to be stronger probably going to be faster Mm. probably going to be a little more mature a little more cognitive development right this is a whole grade in school um well guess what um if i then look at my december birthday kid and say uh just not an athlete because (laughs) he can't hang right it's only because of the cutoff because if all of a sudden i said december 1st is the cutoff and now my kid was the oldest i guarantee for most of those kids who we before looked at as just not athletes become some of the best right they'll become some and so it's very 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 important to recognize that when we have arbitrary calendar cutoffs we can really um you know, make judgments on kids far, far too young. And we see this, like if you go to Europe and you go to Spain where the calendar cutoff for professional football is January 1st. Um, My friend worked at Barcelona and he said 90% of the kids 
who were at La Masia mm-hmm. were born between January and June. Wow. So only 10% of the kids were second half of the year. Think about that, right? Mm-hmm. Is it something about if you're born in August, you're not a good footballer? No, of course <laughs> not, right? In England, the calendar cutoff is September 1st. So guess when most of the kids are born? September, October, November, December for an, uh, an English professional academy. So if you're born in October and you want to be a professional footballer, you have a much better chance if you're born in England than if you're born in Spain. And if you're born in Spain. Wow. So, ah, that's an interesting perspective. You know, and of course, I'm sure you know, it's things like this that led you to writing your book, Changing the Game, The Parent's Guide mm-hmm. to Raising Happy, High-Performing Athletes you know, and Giving Youth Sports Basically Back to Our Kids. But if I'm a, you know, I'm currently listening um, to the to the audiobook. You know, I kind of forgot that I had Audible because I like to read. Um, yeah, I like yeah. to read the paperback, you know, and because of all this COVID, I've not been able to, you know, place orders and things like that. But I kind of remember, I was like, oh, today I was like, I have Audible, you know, so quickly, mm-hmm. you know, I went to get it. And, you know, I think I'm on chapter five uh, there about. But one of the reasons for that is obviously the methodology that you've said now in terms of, you know, not putting too much pressure, you know, on these kids you know, allowing them to express themselves, develop character, develop their mindset, you know, and some of all of these other things. If I'm a parent that's listening to you or I have the opportunity to sit down with you the way I'm sitting down with you now, and I want to help my child nurture their talent, you know, with the exception of these external things, what are some of the things that you recommend I do? Well, number one, they need to own the experience, right? Mm-hmm. So if we look at what are the critical ingredients of um doing something long enough to be good at it. Um, There's really three. There's ownership, right? So they control it. They're driving the bus like your daughter saying, I want to do more. I want to do more. Um, There's enjoyment, right? Mm -hmm. So they got to love it. They have (laughs) to love to play. They got to enjoy it. You know, I love watching like videos of like Ronaldinho playing pickup games, whether, you know, it's on the street or, Mm -hmm. you know, recently in prison, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you know, he just loves the guy just, loves and he plays with joy you know you don't tell me that guy's not having fun Mm. right and and then so you have ownership you have enjoyment and then what those things do is they breed internal or intrinsic motivation motivation right so it's that it's that self-motivation to pick up a ball and go practice to throw a ball against the wall to go for a run whatever whatever that is and so as a parent i have to make sure my kid owns it Mm-hmm. I want to focus on, is this environment enjoyable? And then are they intrinsically motivated to get better? Now, if they only pick up a ball when they're going to practice two days a week, yeah, they're probably not going to turn pro. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. But if you're like calling them in because it's dark out every night because they're out there, that's a sign that they love it and they want to get better. And of course they're going to get better just because of time on task. And so, you know, I, I think I, I saw this great interview recently with Robin van Persie, mm. you know, great Arsenal Dutch footballer, yeah. Manchester United footballer, um, just retired. And he was talking about his own son who's 14 who didn't get in a game. I think he's at fine Nord's Academy. Yeah, I right think now. I saw that. Yeah. 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 It was great. Right. And, and he said, you know, my job, he said, are you angry right now? Don't complain about your coach. He said, my job as a dad is to make sure that you're a good human being and a good person. Now, if you want to be a professional footballer, that's your job. That's yours. That's you go practice. You get better. I will help. I will do that. But 
you have to have the fire and the determination. Don't blame me. Don't blame your coaches. Don't blame your teammates. That's on you. And I thought it was a really great interview. Like, you know, my job as a parent is to raise highly functioning human beings and, and do everything I can to give you opportunities. Mm-hmm. But if you really love something and want to do something great, that's your job. Mm. What happens to those kids who, um, yes, I hear you talk about intrinsic motivation and I, and I completely agree. You know, I was one of those kids who was out there for hours, you know, so I, I would watch something on TV, you know, I would see someone play a particular, do a particular skill, you know, I'm running outside, you know, I want to practice it. You know, every opportunity I got, I always want. So from the age of five, I knew I wanted to be a pro athlete. You know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I got injured. And what would you say to those athletes? It's not that intrinsic motivation is the problem. You know, it's just that they need a little push. So how do you as a parent determine that, okay, this person is not intrinsically motivated, but it just, if I can nudge him a little bit, how do we find that balance? Well, I think first of all, right, you're, you're, you're paying attention. Your question's a good one. How do I know if my son or my daughter has intrinsic motivation? Yeah. It's what we just talked about, right? You went out, all you wanted to do is play. All you want to do is mm-hmm. practice. That's intrinsic motivation. If I have to say to my kid, please go practice, please go play, please go do your stuff. That's not intrinsic motivation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, so that's first of all is recognizing that, right? And then... And so if they have it, then I think what you can do as a parent is understand their goals and say, so what do you want from this? And and then you say, okay, so what are some commitments that we can make to achieve that? Okay. So this is where the parent gets to give the push because you say to me, I want to be a professional footballer. And I say, okay, well, how can I help? Three mornings a week, let's get up early and let's train. Great. Now, three mornings a week on my calendar, I've written down, you know, training session, you know, with my son, mm-hmm. right? And then, um, and so that on that morning when you're still laying in bed at 630 and you're like, no, no. And I say, no, no. Remember, you wanted this, not me. So I'm up. So let's get up and do it. Because we all need that push once in a while, mm-hmm. right? We all have days when we're not highly motivated. And so that is this sort of push in a direction of these are your goals, I'm helping you achieve them, right? Versus these are my goals for you that I'm forcing upon you. Because that might work, right? It's certainly, we have examples of athletes, right? Andre Agassi in tennis, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Who's, it was his dad's goal more so than his, right? And so he writes this great biography and the first three words are, I hate tennis, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so, so it's not like that can't work, but it's far better you know, if you just, I think the worst thing you can do as a parent would be to rupture your relationship with your kids Mm. over sports. Why would you ever do that? Right. And so I see this happen a lot where kids, where, 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 where parents do that, right. They rupture their relationship because their sports dreams are different than their kids' sports dreams. Right now, I think we can be realistic for our kids yeah. and say, "Okay, you want to make this team? What's it going to take? Right? Are you willing to do that? How can I support you doing that?" But if they say, mm, "Not really willing to do that," that's okay. I still love you, right? But don't come back to me in two years and tell me it's my fault because now that's your decision, right? Uh-huh. So when I was a kid growing up, I was like you. I loved 
to play. And I would go and I had a, you know, a basement in my house and the bottom of the wall was, you know, concrete and the top we put like wood on it. And my brother and I would just go down there for hours and we'd just hit the ball against the wall and play one against one. And, 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 and just, you know, that there wasn't my dad saying, go practice. That was us. You know, it was my dad coming back and breaking up the fights right between us. Like that's, that's what he, that was his role, but that was self-motivation right there. Two things come to mind, John, from what, from what you just mentioned, you know, and the first one is for, you know, the, the kids who they have this intrinsic motivation, you know, they really want it. I want to be pro, you know, they're pushing their parents, they're dragging them, you know, but they have a talent peak. So in the sense that they just don't have the ability, if we're being honest with ourselves, you know, you would say he's not going to make it. Now, no, nobody, nobody is predetermining anything. You know, but basically we're just looking at um, the, the, the kind of talent they are exhibiting at certain ages. You know, I've forgotten uh, the particular word it is where, you know, like their talent ceiling, so to speak, you know, quote and unquote. You know, so what do parents in those kinds of situations where the child wants it, they have the intrinsic motivation, they are training, they are working, they are doing everything that they can you know, but really and truly, you know, that child just doesn't have that thing. Now, obviously, they can still make it in some way, not at the highest level, not mm. at the mid-highest level, but in some way they can make it. How does the parents in that situation navigate? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, if you see this as a parent, it, you don't crush your kids' dreams, mm. but you also say, um, eh. You know, and some people would say you should never have a plan B because then it's too easy to give up on plan A, right? And I see that side of it. But I think as a parent, you can have your kid chase plan A, plan A while you're, you're supporting plan B without actually saying it, right? Mm. So, you're, so as the parent, you're saying, you know, okay, you've, you've had this adversity. You've struggled. You, you got released by this team. What's good about this? Like, what did you learn from this, right? How can we get better? What are other opportunities you, you could take here? Um, do you love this game? Is there another path within the game, like mm. coaching or officiating or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, the big mistake we could make is deciding too young, right? That, oh, my kid just doesn't have what it takes because – you know, we just don't know. And it's really interesting. Like if you go to England right now where you have all these professional academies um, developing five-year-olds and then you have Brentford, right. Who has got rid of all their academy (laughs) and they just have a reserve team. Right. And so they're signing all the players that are 19 have been released by someone else. Mm. And they're saying, we only have to pour in them, you know, in one year they could be in our first team. Sure. Right. So why are all these clubs and Brentford's promoting people to a you right there in the they're in the playoffs positions now, I believe, to get into the Premier League. They're promoting players after a year into the first team. team. Um, and then they're able to sell players on. So they found this model. They're like, hey, we're surrounded by Chelsea and Arsenal and Spurs, yeah, West Ham. Kids aren't coming to our academy. So let's forget the academy and let's take all the kids that they cast aside and Mm. see if we can turn them into pros. And so my advice on the other side of that is don't make that determination too early either because you just don't know. 
that's that's a good one. The flip side of that, you know, you mentioned it a little bit, you know, is this thing about career path? So I'll give you an example. So for example, in Nigeria, our football league is not it's not the best, you know, if we're, if we're being honest, it's, it's not the best. You know, so any parent that wants their child to play professional football has to get them abroad. You know, yeah. so either you get them into Europe, you get them, you know, to the US, you know, which, you know, scholarship system and things like that. Now, obviously, you would agree that parents like that have to start planning early. Mm-hmm. How do they merge those two things in terms of I have to plan early, but at the same time, I can't put pressure on my child and he intrinsically has to want it for himself. Uh, I mean, it's, there, there's no perfect answer for that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just, you have to know your kid. And, and for those of us listening who have more than one child, you know that they're very different. You know, mm-hmm. you look at, I have two kids and I look at them and I'm like, you know, were you really raised by the same parents in the same house and you ate the same food and yet you couldn't be more different, right? And so I, there's no possible way I could give you like, oh, this is the answer for mm-hmm. that. I think you can support your, um, your child and their dreams, right, of what they want to do. And then you can see the bigger picture and, and recognize that if this doesn't work out, they're going to need me to catch them when they fall and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and help shape this and and get ready for, you know, to rally and come back from this, you know? Um, But it's interesting, you know, when um, I had on the podcast, uh, Mark Pulisic and his son, Christian plays for Chelsea now. Nice. Ah, Yeah. Yeah. Mark and I went to the (laughs) same high school and uh, he, you know, he was telling a story when, when Christian was 16 um, and decided to move to Dortmund, Mm -hmm. Um, he said when they moved, they, he went over with them and Mark was coaching over there. Mark was a very, very good player and a very high level coach here in the States. So he went and worked in the academies, moved over with Christian. Um, and he said they, they rented an apartment together and they wrote in German on the wall, no excuses, mm. no excuses. And it was just painted on the wall in big letters, no excuses. Cause there's going to be bad days. There's going to be hard days there's going to be days when it should make excuses because this is your dream Uh this is what you want i'm supporting you but i'm not going to come home so that you can make excuses about this coach did this or this player did this or i'm the american and they don't like me Uh and i thought that was a really you know i think it's why you know christian has amazing parents and i think it's why he's a very successful player but also um a quality human being um, mm-hmm. with a level head who has taken the ups and downs in stride. And so when he went to Chelsea, he knew it was going to be a big jump up in pressure, in expectations. He's still only 21 years old, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and he's handled it really, he's handled it really well. You know, he's got a lot of competition for spots and, and, and you know, he, he hasn't gone to the media to complain. He's let his play do the talking and he's scored goals. And, you know, when you're the coach, that's what you want to see, right? Put the ball in the back of the net. That's the best thing you could ever possibly say. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned you mentioned Christian. You know, you know, at this point because he's somebody that you know I've also tried to study to see the kind of path that he took. You know, in terms of you know what the traditional American model is. 
and how yeah. he didn't follow that model, you know, kind of veered off, you know, a little bit. And for the footballers that are listening to us, you know, and idolize, you know, people like Christian Pulisic and, you know, the kind of talent that he has and things like that. Now, you have a background in coaching as well. What would you say is one of the things that footballers struggle with the most? So it could be physical, you know, it could be on the mental side. What's one of the things that you've seen in your years of coaching, you know, that footballers struggle with the most? In the U.S.? Um, Generally. Okay. Well, so obviously my experience coaching is in the U.S. So what I would say is that our biggest problem in this country is uh, insight or cognitive or, or, you know, awareness, right? Mm. So we have this focus here in this country that we have to teach them all these technical skills and then we can let them play the game and figure out the game. And so we get players who have a great first touch and can juggle a ball 2000 times, but never <laughs> check their shoulder. Right. And have no idea what's around them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so spatial awareness, taking a picture, uh, constantly being aware of finding space, you know, because if I get an extra yard, my touch is always going to look better. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and I can know whether to play quickly and stuff like that. And so I see that as a, that's a North American challenge that we have to overcome. And, and that's with, because the kids don't play a lot of pickup, right? So they're not true, playing true. Uh, games. They get overcoached as well. I think a lot of footballers now are being overcoached at a very young age. And so we, we coach the creativity out of them. Mm. And then later on, we want them to be creative, right? And so that sort of helping them understand that, you know, well, why did you play that pass? And was there something that you could have done differently? And how did that feel as opposed to no play this ball and run there? Right. Mm. Because yeah, that looks awesome when we're running all these patterns when we're 11, but if there's no thought behind, why do I pass that ball? Then when the opponent does something different, you know, you're, you're toast. You're like, uh, I don't know why I would pass (laughs) that ball. So, um, so I think those are challenges. And then I, again, I, I think right now in professional football, the biggest challenge that people would say is the amount of money in it in mm. the big leagues. And then the amount that they're paying some of the younger kids Players. to keep them in, right. When you're making 40,000 pounds a week and you're 16 years old, where's the hunger coming from? Mm. Right. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when you were 16 and you were that good, you were, you know, you were cleaning Ryan Giggs's boots every day and sweeping the locker room. Mm. Now, you know, now your first car is a Bentley, right? <laughs> and so, and so they're losing the hunger to get better. And uh, without hunger, you know, the ones who are surviving are the ones who are able to stay hung- hungry and stay humble, I think. Mm. How can some of these footballers, you know, because I'm, I'm putting myself in the position of, you know, the footballers, especially here that are listening to us now, you know, and they feel like their own problem is not over coaching. Their problem is under coaching. You know, so I, for example, I'll use myself as an example again. You know, you mentioned scanning your shoulder, you know, and things like that. I didn't know anything about scanning the shoulder until probably I was what? 18 years old there about, mm-hmm. you know, pick up the ball, dribble, you're fast, you have the skills, the technique is there, you know, but when it comes to scanning your shoulder, you know, didn't really know anything about that. What can footballers who find themselves in that position do? You know, so I would love to be overcoached, but unfortunately I'm getting undercoached. Yeah, that's great. See, the, I, that's why I love this conversation because that's not my world, right? And so <laughs> like I, I, but I think that's such a great question. And so here's what I'd say. Um, 
what's very different now is the ability to watch games mm. or highlights, but don't watch the game as a generalist, watch it as a specialist, right? What does, you know, I want to be a six. What is N'Golo Kante doing? Right. Mm. Or, you know, what is Busquets doing? Like that's right. Like, you know, look, look at that guy because he's not doing 52 step overs. He's winning <laughs> the ball and he's, and he's playing it and his head's on a swivel and he's getting in channels and he's picking off balls and he's giving it to people who can play. Um, right. If I want to be a winger, look, look at, you know, look at the movement. Right. Mm. And so, you know, we have isolated cameras now and we have the um, ability to focus in on a player. Look at what he's doing. I, I remember a couple of years ago I was in England and I, I went to Arsenal and I, I sat down right on the field level and like uh, Alexi Sanchez was right in front mm. of me mm. and just like watching his movement off the ball, right? How he got open, how he rested in the certain moments how he get that. And then all of a sudden when the opportunity was there, boom, how he switched on and it was mm. boom, so quick. Right. And, and so if you can watch live football with really good players do that, especially as well and focus on that guy or that girl that, that plays your spot because um, you know, that's where you'll learn what are the little subtleties of the game. Right. You know, um, you know, on uh, Javi says, you know, I, mm-hmm. I spent 90 minutes looking for space, right? <laughs> I wish someone told me that when I was 10. True. Right. Then True. you say the same thing, right? Like, that's what uh, I tell them. That's a, that, that's a good one because I, I completely agree. And, you know, it's, it's no longer an excuse for these players, you know, to, to push the blame on somebody else. Because I feel like that's what a lot of these footballers do. They try to push the blame on the coaches. They try to push the blame on their parents. You know, they try to push the blame on some. Like, for example, I can sit here now, you know, and blame every other person but myself for not improving my game in that area. But all of these are physical challenges, John. We also have the mental challenges that these athletes go through. You know, and one of the things that they would never tell you again, you know, when you are, you know, 14, 15, 16, developing in the sport, you know, is that mental toughness? Is that resilient? You know, and some of these things. For the athletes who come onto these things late, what are some of the things that they can do to, in a way, catch up with, with all the others that have gone far ahead of them? Well, yeah, these are skills. Yeah. Well, number, you know, remember that these are skills, mm-hmm. right? And that they can be developed, Right. So you can always develop. I, I, I have a chapter in my new book and it's called books called every moment matters. And the chapter is called every games played on a five inch field, right. Mm. It was played between your ears. Right. And, and so, you know, what's the self-talk, what's the, right? that the mental side of the game, we call it one of the pillars, right. Technical, right. Or we bring in the sports psychologist when the team's going badly and everyone's sick. Right. But we, we would never, just do uh-huh. do culture building and psychology at one time. We should we should it's the psychological element of this session. So I think for those kids who haven't thought about this yet, to a lot of information, you have access to a lot. You have the internet. You have the world at your fingertips, which you know I didn't have as a young guy. Uh-huh. You didn't maybe have as much. We were struggling with confidence. And if you look up a, a course online on self talk, right, uh-huh. right, and work on that. Look up a course on goal setting. Look up a course on, uh, you know, h- how to journal your performances and start 
way better than you know when I eat at McDonald's mm-hmm. and uh, stay up all night partying, right? And so um, these are things. So look honestly, look at your game and say, where do I need work? And then go find resources if you're not getting that from your club or, or from your coach because they're out there. And it's really, again, back to no excuses. There's no excuse. You can find it. You can find it. Mm. What, what would you say separates the best from the average athletes? Because one of the struggles that, you know, that I've seen that a lot of footballers here you know, have is that you know, they feel everybody is a star in their own small circles. Everybody is a star where they are. Everybody, you know, has that talent. They're the best in their neighborhood. You know, but when they get on that grand stage, you know, that's when they realize that, oh, wow, like, I'm not as good as I thought I was. You know, but I feel like it would help if early on, you know, this athletes realize and understand that, hey, this is what separates the best from the average athletes. Lean towards this side more than this side. What would you say are some of those things that separate this best athletes, footballers especially? from the average ones. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, I mean, everything we've been talking about mentality is it right. There's plenty of talented players out there, but mm. do you have the mentality to go through the ups and downs to my friend, Tom Statham's worked, I think 25 years in Manchester United's Academy. And mm. so, you know, he's told me some great stories. Uh, they're all on the podcast about watching different players go through to the first team from, I think West Brown was his first and, wow, you know, currently today, I mean, he coached. Yeah. And I mean, he coached, you know, Jesse Lingard and Marcus Rashford and Scott McTominay when they were nine and 10 years old. Wow. Right. And, and so, you know, they all have different journeys and Marcus Rashford was always big and strong and, and mm-hmm. played up a Scott McTominay did well. And then he kind of went down a little bit and then he kind of, mm-hmm. you know, again. peaked again and he got his chance and, and he took it. Um, and I think also what you said, you know, when you go to the bigger pond, right, you're the best in your town, you go to the bigger pond, you have to change that voice that says, wow, I'm not as good as I thought to, hey, you know what, I can play with these guys, mm. right? Um, my my friend, uh, Jay Demerit was a U.S. international, yeah, played at Jay Watford, <laughs> um, you know, and, and so he tells the story, like, he, he, when he, he went to university here in the U.S., he wasn't drafted into major league soccer. Oh, he wow. went and lived in his buddy's attic in, in London. Uh, he signed on with like for 25 pounds a game at some 12th division team. Then he moved up to like a ninth division team. Then he moved up again. But he said what he learned, like every time, like he jumped up and all of a sudden he's a center back and he's marking a center forward who spent his life in Arsenal's Academy mm. or spent his life in Tottenham's Academy. And he, and he's like, you know what? He goes, what I realize is I can play with this guy. Yeah. Like he's had all this stuff that I didn't have, but I can, I can play with him. And he, and, and so his voice said, well, I can play with this guy. Let me just get better. Cause I'm behind him in, in coaching and experience. And so let me ask my coaches and let me learn from my teammates. And he went in 18 months or two years, he went from the 12th division to the ninth division to Watford in the championship to score in the winning goal in Cardiff stadium to promote Watford to mm, yeah. um, uh, the premier league. And now he sends me pictures of him. He's like, Hey, look, it's me and Elton John. 
you know? And so it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's just like this amazing thing, but his, when he got into the bigger pond, his internal voice said, I can play with these guys, not, oh my God, my head. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. You know, and it leads me, it leads me to something else that, you know, weighs heavily on us on this side. That Jay Demary story is perfect because it shows an athlete who, who, um, who took things into his own hands. And he said, okay, I went to uni, no problem. Now I'm in London. I'm going to work my way up. Now, I have athletes who message me on Instagram, footballers, you know, and, you know, they're always looking for connections. You know, Tola, can you, can you recommend one of your agent friends to me? Uh, um, Tola, I'm sure very soon they're going to be saying, Tola, can you connect me with John? I'm trying to get to the US, you know, now that, <laughs> now that we are connected. You know, but what do you say to athletes like that? I know there's a business side to sports, but what should athletes like that be doing? I mean, number one, don't stop working at your game right? Like, uh, you know, the, the famous philosopher Confucius, he mm-hmm. said, don't worry that no one knows you seek to be worth knowing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think in the global world today with video, with all this stuff that there's too many people slipping through the cracks. Now, of course there are, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to oh, say wow, that's a good one. that I'm not going to say that there's not people who, who get missed because of course there are. But I think there are people who spend too much time worried that they're not getting noticed and not enough time being worth noticing. Mm. Right. And then number two, I would think to be that one moment in your life where, you know, you're offered the chance to do something special, Mm. right. Where you get the call into the first team, like the scout from Manchester United is watching, not only play hard when you, you know, this comes and you're not fit, you're not prepared. You're, not ready you didn't take care you know you didn't think your moment where that you need two more weeks to get ready right that that hands you better be ready because it might come tomorrow (laughs) Mm. it might be tomorrow that might be the day that's some the right person's watching are you going to be ready or uh, what i'm really not ready right now well there it goes Mm. and i and i agree because that's what that's one of the things that i tell them you know in terms of changing their mentality if your mentality is always that you need connections you need connections you need connections chances are that you're not working on your game because you are waiting for that connection to give you an edge. So if you were busy working on your game, you won't really be thinking about that connection. That connection will be second nature. So I, I, totally, I totally agree with that. The final question I wanted to ask you, John, just as, we, just as we wrap up, is for those athletes that are in Africa. So now, you know, I've, I've read a lot about, you know, the, the US draft system, MLS, you know, and there are people that believe that, you know, the, the college system, especially as it relates to soccer, is not the best fit for any young footballer that wants to play professional football. You know, so because by the time you're leaving college, you're 20, 21, 22, thereabouts, you know, you have people like Trent Alexander-Arnold in Liverpool who at 17 has played 200 games, you know, for, for Liverpool. What would you say to an international footballer who sees the U.S., as a route to go into that professional rank? Yeah, I, I, I think it would be very hard to make the argument that if you're good enough at 16 or 17 to break into the first team of a professional club or you're on that pathway, right? I mean, that's where you should be because mm-hmm. you should be training with men. You should be learning from um, 
you know, senior pros on how to conduct yourself. You should see how they eat, how they sleep, um, how they do things, how quickly they play, all that sort of stuff. So no doubt that that's the pathway. But for some players who might be late bloomers, right? You grew mm. late. You you were overlooked. Um, the college pathway in the U.S. has proven to be a, a, a very good one. You know, and for some kids, sometimes it's just a year, uh, and sometimes it's it's four. Um, but it, it's proven to be a good one, and it has not held people back from going there and you get a degree and you know you get sure. that education as well so what you'll find in a you know a u.s college usually is very very good facilities good health care good strength and conditioning will make you a better athlete mm-hmm. um all that sort of stuff one of the things that they're working on changing here for the top level the nca division one level in soccer is they're trying to split the year into a fall and a spring season much more like the rest of the world so Mm. you're not just playing all your games in three months you're (laughs) playing 10 in in the first three months and you know and and 10 in the second three months um which would be much better and they had actually made a lot of progress towards that um and then with uh coronavirus and everything yeah it's all been sort of delayed but if the u.s college system goes to a split season um there's fantastic facilities there's some fantastic coaches um i think it becomes a much more a much better pathway to the pros yes you're not playing against the senior pros Uh but you'll be playing a lot more and training a lot more than you are today as a current college player I told you, I told you guys, John was a legend. I told you, not John legend, you know, but I told you guys, John was a legend. Like, you know, the things I, I didn't even realize when we had, when we left talking about the parents and nurturing talent, you know, and, and all of that, and we've come to, you know, the professional footballers. But the reason I named the podcast Athlete Maestro, John, is that I wanted to help athletes master their craft. You know, I, I wanted them to be better athletes because I look at my journey mm you know, in trying to play professional sports and how I did things very wrong. Now, obviously, I could only act on what I knew then, you know, and the kind of information we have this day and age is so different to what we had back then. You know, so I wanted to give back with my experience, with everything that I have. What, in your estimation, would you say it means to be a master of your craft? That's a great question. Um, I think... I I would define that as maximizing the tools you have in this moment to be the best that you, you you can be. That's a master of your craft, right? So someone who shows up every day, does the honest, um, is, is hardworking, you know, sees the little bits of advancement, gets a little bit better and is not afraid to take feedback is not afraid to take criticism. Um, and just and just keeps showing up and keeps doing the work. To me, that's like that's a master of, of the craft of both the outer game, you know, and and the inner game. And I think, you know, it's great what you're doing. You know, they always say, you know, the saying in America that you know youth is wasted on the young, <laughs> and you know the reason, you know, the reason for that is because we all, as we get older, you know, 
would love to give our 16 year old selves some advice. Mm. What, what could you have done in this moment? Did you really need to go to that party? Did you really need to, you know, do this, you know, or did you really love because, you know, it ends very quickly and then you just have sort of those like, you know, most people's regrets in life are not regrets of commission. Mm -hmm. They're regrets of omission. So they're not the things that you did. We regret the things that we didn't do. And so I think what you're doing is great because you're trying to help people realize that at an age where they still have the ability to do it. So hopefully this contributed to that. Another legendary answer. Of course it did, you know, and definitely, I know you're a busy man, like a very busy man. I tried to get you on podcast before, you know, and definitely we have to, we have to get you back. But there's so many things I wanted to ask you that I couldn't, you know, but if there's a footballer and we're going to split this final question, John, final question. We're going to split this into the parents and the footballers. So for the parents, we've talked about so many things, nurturing talents, allowing them have fun, you know, letting them express themselves, intrinsic motivation and all of this. Now, there's a parent that's listening to us and says, I hear all that you've said, you know, Tola and John, you know, but I need one thing that would make me a better sports parent for my child. Just one thing, you know, you've talked about so many things. I need just one thing. What would that one thing be? And the same thing for the footballers who have heard all the things that we've talked about. Show up more, work on your mental game, you know, practice more, stop worrying about connections. Are you showing that you want it? What is one thing they can do I guess them a step closer to their goals of being professional athletes. Great final question. So <laughs> from the parent, you know, I, I did a whole Ted talk on this and I, and I would just say, you know, what can you do? You know, just love watching your kids play. This mm-hmm. goes by so fast and, and pretty soon it's over. Pretty soon there is no one, you know, to take the practice pretty soon. They've, they're moved on and they have a family of their own. So enjoy these moments with them. How many parents realize how much they miss watching their kids play right now, mm. right? And so I hope that you know you just enjoy that, right, and support them on their journey and 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 their triumphs and their and their failures. And I think for you know the athletes, if there's one thing that we've learned from working with many great coaches and great teams, um, it's that a, a great teammate always asks not what can I get, but what can I give, Mm. right? So we live in this world that's all about what can I get, right? I can get fame. I can get Instagram followers. I get to play the position I want. I get my favorite number. I, you know, I get to show up and work hard in the days that I feel like it versus what can I give, right? What role can I play? How can I do more? Uh, Can I pick up the cones? Can I pick up the balls? Can I support a teammate who's struggling? And I think coaches are always looking for players who are asking, what can I give? Uh, that's, a, that's a good final one. Um, I want to thank you, John, for, for sparing the time, for everything that we talked about, for the nuggets you've shared, you know, and, and just, how, just how genuine you are, you know, so to speak. There, there are a lot of people in this world today that they're arrogant, let's be honest, you know, in terms of they would be like, who is this guy? you know, that, that wants to talk to me, maybe he's trying to pick my brain and things like that, you know, but you've shown up here, you've been genuine, um, you, you, you've shared with us so many things, you know, and I, I look forward uh, to connecting with you personally when I can be, you know, at your Way of Champions um, conference. I continue to listen to your podcast because I enjoyed all the great guests uh, that you bring on. So thank you so much for all that you do, John. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This was great. And I look forward to coming back on sometime soon. That'll be awesome. Thank you so much, John.
Whoa, I'm, I'm sure you guys can see. Like, you know, I literally listen to it just the way you listen to it and getting all the way to the end. I can listen to this episode like five times. Literally, that's how good it was. And I'm sure you guys, you know, can see as well. So for the athletes, once you skip past all of that parenting part, you know, then you just saw the nuggets that John dropped. And of course, if you are the parents and you listen from the beginning, then I'm sure that you can see how you've been doing things wrong, the things that you need to turn around, the things that you need to change, the things that you need to alter. That's why I was super happy uh, to have John on the podcast. And I'm sure that um, you guys want John to come back. I'm sure that you guys want John to come back. Send me a mail, Tola at athletemaestro.com if you enjoy this episode and of course i am going to forward that email to john as well just to let him know that hey this is what people are saying about the podcast this is what they enjoyed about everything that we spoke about it was super amazing to have john on like like literally i just can tell you how good it was and of course you guys could see from the answers illustrations examples that john was given this is why i do this to help you master your craft as an athlete to get you to your ultimate objective which is to be the best athlete you can be and of course to achieve the goals that you set for yourself and of course on this episode we definitely have helped you break your mental and physical limitations in sports so send me that mail tola at athletemanshow.com and of course you want to share this episode as well with any athlete that is out there particularly the footballers particularly the footballers you want to share this episode with them so that they know how they've been doing things wrong and they can quickly before the time passes change things around and of course um i want to share your emails with john just to let him know that hey people appreciate the good and the great work that you're doing out there if you haven't subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss great episodes like this then of course you'd want to so automatically gets downloaded to your device of choice and of course if you haven't left us a rating and review like i literally don't know what you're doing like i'm pouring my soul out to you guys bringing exceptional guests on just to educate you and help you break your mental and physical limitations in sport so you're going to want to leave us that rating and review if you've learned anything however minute it might be on the podcast athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe and of course head over to the show notes i'm going to put the link of john's books the first one of course is out the second one i'm not sure if it's out at the time you're listening to this but if it's out it's going to be in the show notes as well if you have any questions whatsoever send me a mail tola at athletemaestro.com tola at athletemaestro.com and of course if you're a parent you're listening to my voice or you're an athlete head over to athletemaestro.com forward slash sports pay renting where you're going to learn how to nurture your child's talent in sports. I'll catch you guys on the next episode of the show. Remember, knowing is not enough, you must apply. Willing is not enough, you must do. I want you to go out there, apply everything that the legend, John O'Sullivan, has dropped. I want you to go out there, I want you to be a maestro today and every single day.